You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. What's up, guys? It's Matt coming to you today with a chance to win a free trip to Costa Rica. Come down to Manuel Antonio, absolutely paid for by under 30 experiences. If you're between the ages of 21 to 35, I suggest you go on over to under30experiences.com slash blog to sign up to win this free trip. We teamed up with our friends at Ready Yeti for an awesome grand prize that includes a ton of outdoor gear. This includes outdoor vitals, jacket and tent, a Michi Takin set of boots, Evolve Motion Impact, a Belmont blanket, Empowered Lights, a Core Surf gift card, Bear Adventure watch, a bunch of really cool stuff valued at over 2,500 bucks. So if you want to opt in, there are three ways you can do it. One is you can follow me on Instagram, instagram.com slash Matt Wilson TV. There is a big picture of the sunset and you can get the instructions there where you can opt in. It's just a link in my profile right now. Or you can go to under30experiences.com slash blog, as I said, and you can get the details or write in iTunes. If you're listening to this on the podcast app, just click through. It's all in the show notes. You just have to sign up for that mailing list to be notified if you want. So that's the deal. Trying to hook you guys up with some good stuff. Thanks for being an awesome community. Hopefully we can pay back one lucky member to come and hang out in Costa Rica for five days. Thanks, guys. Get ready for an awesome show with Traveling Jackie. Hello, everybody. Matt Wilson here with Traveling Jackie. And you have the Budget-Minded Traveler podcast, which... Which I actually just changed the name of. All right. Tell us about that. Yeah, I just hit 100 episodes with that. Congratulations. Thank you. And decided for several reasons to change the name going forward, but it's now called Jump with Traveling Jackie. It's the same show, same feed, you know, same me. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, new name. So yeah, moving on, moving upward. That's excellent. I enjoyed coming and talking to you. This was a couple of years ago now. It was. Yeah. I would have to look up and see which episode that was. It was a long time ago. I feel like it was a long time ago. Yeah. A lot has happened since then. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well, one thing that I've noticed across your blog is that this word jump really resonates with you. And I think a lot of the listeners that will resonate with as well, because you took the jump or took the leap when you were 18 years old to live this, if you will, alternative lifestyle. Yes, I did. Uh, That's when I first up and moved to Costa Rica to study abroad for a year, which we were just speaking some Tico with each other. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I started young. I mean, it's been nearly half my life already that wow. I've sort of had this lifestyle and it was, um, would have been 10 years after I started traveling that I finally started the blog. And, you know, cause I didn't know it was a thing. If I knew back in 2003 that I could be blogging for the masses instead of sending mass emails in Costa Rican <laughs> internet cafes where the electricity would go out randomly and I would lose everything, you know, then I probably would have taken that route instead, but it took me a while to kind of get into the the blogging world. But yeah, so I already had like 10 years under my belt by the time I started The Budget Minded Traveler, which was the first blog and eventually turned into the podcast. And now I have Traveling Jackie and all of that. So That's great. And I have to ask you about 
Costa Rica, of course, a place near and dear to both of our hearts. Uh, where did you live? Tell me about your experience real quick. I lived in, are you ready for this Tico accent? I'm ready. I lived in San Pablo de Heredia. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Heredia is um, in the Central Valley, which, you know, it kind of creates a triangle with Alajuela and San Jose. And I studied for a year at the university there through USAC, which is University Studies Abroad Consortium. They were actually headquartered at my school in the United States, which I graduated from, but I don't really claim. I didn't spend a whole lot of time there because they have this amazing study abroad program that I kept taking advantage of. But yeah, that was the first, the first real, I feel like coming into my own thing that I ever did. We had a foreign exchange student my senior year of high school from Germany. And the one thing she told me was, and I'd already been studying Spanish at this point, you know, and um, decided I wanted to study abroad. And she said, whatever you do, go for a year. Don't think twice about it. That advice has stayed with me. I mean, forever, you know, obviously, but I took it and I never thought twice about it. You know, I just said, okay, I'm going for a year. And my life totally changed. I mean, I was 18. I turned 19 down there, you know, like I just, I learned how to speak Spanish and dance salsa and travel and like figure out the ropes of the transportation and the language thing. And like all of this different, I lived with a host family, like everything was so different all the time. And I just fell absolutely in love. And that was just the beginning of the snowball for me. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, Heredia, it's not a place that I've been to too many times, but there's an overlook across the whole Central Valley with a big cross. Do you know what I'm talking about? And there's another park there that I've been to. I'll have to get back to you. Volcan Barba, have you been up there? That's like a good hiking area. I've been close to there. You know what's funny is from my house where I used to live in San Pablo de Heredia, <laughs> we could see across the valley. Like we lived kind of on a hill. And so I could see from my house, San Jose, which was super cool. Yeah. Um, but you know what? You wouldn't go to Heredia because it's not, it's like a place where you live. It's not a place where you visit. Like it's not a tourist attraction. You know, it's actually like a, I think it was about 80,000 people. I want to say when I was there in 2003, 2004, I mean, I had the university, the, it was the UNA, the Universidad Nacional de, de Costa Rica. La U. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, you wouldn't go there unless you specifically wanted to like hike Barva or I mean, there there wasn't a lot, you know, it was just like a small town kind of thing, which I loved. That's why I chose it actually. And because it was in the mountains, the other option was Punta Arenas and I just didn't want to live on the beach. And so, because I hadn't done that before, you know, I'm like, I'm a mountain girl. I wanted to be up. So. And the weather there in, in Heredia, it's so unique. I mean, you're cloud forest, basically. I'm sure some parts are technically cloud forests. That whole area mm-hmm. with Barva up there. Sure. Yeah, it is very interesting. I mean, it seemed pretty mild. I mean, Costa Rica has like two seasons, you know, like the wet season and the the dry season. But I remember it being, I remember one night being freezing, just so cold coming home from, from dancing, like in the middle of the night. And it was like 66 degrees. I'm not kidding. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I no. was freezing. That's how cold I get when I go there. <laughs> it's hilarious. Cause it's not that cold. I mean, I live in Montana now, you know, sure. it's like it was 16 degrees last week and I went cross country skiing and it was awesome. <laughs> nice. But you know, I mean, in 66 degree weather in Costa Rica, it feels really cold because you're used to be, and of course I was wearing a tank top, you know, we had been out, but yeah, I mean, we got plenty of rain in the, 
in the rainy season. And then, you know, you just don't see a drop of it in the dry season. I loved that. The second semester was like, whoo, sun came out. It was so gorgeous. So gorgeous. That must have been a nice reprieve, especially as a college student. It was. Yeah. Especially coming back, like we all went home for Christmas, which I kind of thought was strange, but we did because we were so close by, you know? And so we came back from Christmas and it was like, all right, no more winter. Like that's over. And here we are. And the second semester, really, you know, you get into your groove after you've been, I mean, when you go back to a country where you've been and it starts to feel like home to you, it was sort of like that coming back after four months. It's like, wait a second, this is my home now. Like, this is where I'm living. Like, this is my life these days. Like I just went on a trip back to the US to go to Christmas. And now I'm back home. And like, I am owning this. Like, this is my place. This is me. You know, and that's when I really, I think, settled into... I mean, it was like, I started speaking Spanish like so fluently after that. And I had all my friends that spoke Spanish, didn't even speak English back then. It was such an incredible experience. And it really like... I mean, it kickstarted everything for me because I did accomplish my goal of learning to speak Spanish. That's what I wanted to do. And then I was like, well, what's next? And so I went back to the States. I started learning Italian. And the next thing I knew, I was studying abroad in Italy, you know, and doing it all over again in just a different world. Wow. Where in Italy? Torino, up in the north, Piemonte. Yeah. You like the mountains. I am a mountain girl. Absolutely. Although when I studied abroad in Brazil, I was in Florianopolis, which is like an island. It's like their Hawaii sort of. It's all beaches. So I did try that, you know, and I appreciate the beach, but I am such a mountain girl. I need any mountains. I love it. <laughs> and they're all over. You can like find these amazing places all over the world to feel at home. And that's what I did. Yeah. And there's usually way less people than at the beach. It's a good strategy. I want to ask you how you got to Montana, but first tell me a little bit about more about uh, Florianopolis. Oh, that was, that was pretty cool. It was kind of a whim. So after I finally graduated college, I knew I wanted to just like kind of get out and go and travel. And I wasn't done learning languages either. And I started looking into how I could keep studying abroad, even not in college, which this is a cool topic because most people think that you have to be a college student to study abroad. And that is so not true. I've done it actually twice since college, once 10 years ago and once this year, um, which we can also talk about if you want. But Yeah. So Portuguese was like my next step because I thought, okay, I speak Spanish. Like it's probably going to be easy and I want to go to Brazil. And so I just did. I went and I only went for um, a month actually, but I was speaking like absolutely fluent Portuguese (laughs) after like a few days. And I was so fluent in Spanish. I understood the language so well that Portuguese came really, really easily to me. Um, And so it was kind of a natural next step for me, you know, to go to Brazil and learn Portuguese. And I lived with um, a local down there as well. And that was through, uh, I just Googled it. I was like, okay, Portuguese language school in, in Brazil. And I just started looking at the towns that they offered. And I mean, I'm like, okay, I can do that. I think, I mean... I kept reading about how high the quality of life was there. And it sounded just like a sunny, fun destination. And I knew it was going to be short term, which is probably why I chose the beach. (laughs) But it's Brazil too. I mean, what do you do in Brazil? It's like either Amazon, like the interior or the beach. So yeah, I did that. It was only a month, but it's enough to still stick with me today. Um, I, I remember thinking at the time, as long as I speak Spanish, I'll always be able to speak Portuguese just because 
it's so much more similar than I think anyone ever realizes. As a student of both languages, I think that the natives don't think that. They think it's really different, but when you've learned it, it's not. It's so similar. Like we were just talking about this maybe before you started recording. I think so. If you studied the accent and just figured out where the accent is different, it would be a massive step for you in Portuguese. And like, you'd be like halfway there already. And then you just have to learn like the different words to insert here and there. And it's fascinating. So. No, I I went for three weeks and I was able to get by and communicate with people. But I mean, it was, <laughs> I was hacking it together. It was Portuguese. I wouldn't call it Portuguese, but I was, but you know, just like uh, words that end in mente, right? And she, right. Yeah. So yeah, that yeah. Mm-hmm. type of, you know, I, I couldn't count to 20 now, but then, you know, in a couple of weeks, you can certainly learn, learn the numbers, just those type of patterns that you can pick up. And there's something about the intuition of some languages that I've never been able to put a finger on or why there is something about it or where you heard that or why you feel that that's right. I don't know if it's if it's an instinct or pattern recognition thing. Do you have any insight on that? It has to do a lot with the localization, like where you are also, because that's why, like, for example, Brazilian Portuguese, I'll say, are so similar because they also came from the same continent, you know? And like, there's something to be said about the way that you're raised in the culture about how you speak as well. That's like, I think it's called localization, at least in in like translation. Like when you translate a document, you need to think you're not just translating the words, you're translating into a culture. And where is that culture? Is that culture the United States or is that culture England? Because then your English is going to be different. You know what I mean? Like, sure. So I feel like maybe it has something to do with like being where it is actually geographically. For me, at least, like I'm really drawn to romance languages because that's just where I started. And so I can easily grab and I understand the syntax and kind of where it comes from and the structure of the language because I've studied it so extensively that any romance language that comes my way now is like, oh, I can get that. I can get that. I can get that. You know, so I mean, there are things you can pick up for different reasons, but that's kind of a hard question, actually. Sure. No, I, I don't know. And, and just certain phrases where you know you've heard it before, but you're not really sure. And for whatever reason, I'm very good at guessing. And I know it's probably because I've heard it before somewhere, or I, yeah. just, I just can figure it out for some reason. But I did want to get some people some actionable stuff that they can take, specifically on languages. I'm reading a book right now called Fluent Forever. And it's a really interesting book because it talks about learning the sounds first before you go and try to learn the language. And so at least you can pick up pronunciation. Like uh, in French, I'm pretty confident that I can pronounce something basically correct. So if I'm somewhere and I didn't study in in school, uh, but I spent about six months in Paris... And so if you ask someone for directions, I mean, you have to be able to pronounce the thing correctly. And there are sounds that they have, like the R, that we don't have. And if you get those sounds off the bat, if you start with those sounds, then you can go into a language a lot easier. But I'm curious what some of your basic rules are when you go to start learning a language. 
Um, I love that you said that because I think I've always said since I've been in this arena and learning languages and having become fluent in more than, you know, my native language, I have always said that listening is the key to fluency. Listening is the key to fluency. And people would think it's the opposite, you know, that fluency is about talking, but it's not. You need to understand what you're hearing first. And I'm huge on accents, huge on accents. I mean, it's like, I used to teach Spanish just here in Montana to like private classes. Like I just used to do it because I loved it. And I was like the teacher with the ruler, like smacking you if you said it wrong. I mean, sort of, you know, and I'd put you on the spot in a playful way, but like, it's so important to be able to enunciate correctly, to speak correctly. If you're going to learn a language, do it properly, guys. You know what I mean? Like, don't pull the gringo thing. Like, If you're going to learn it and you want to actually communicate with people, dive in, get in it. And it sounds weird at the beginning to make your mouth do things that you're not used to. And it's like embarrassing almost. Like it's like you have a vergüenza, you know, like to say something that's like, okay, but that does not sound like me. That's not my language. Like that's, it sounds funny. Like my mouth like is tripping over itself. But the more that you try, the better you sound and the quicker you're going to be understood and understand what's being said back to you because you're going to be sounding like the natives, you know? And so I definitely will agree with the listening thing. Last, a couple of years ago, I was living in Argentina and it was right before season six of Game of Thrones was coming out. And in honor of that HBO created an entire channel that was just Game of Thrones 24-7, which was like the most magical thing like to happen in my life at that time. And so I had it on like in my apartment all the time, like while I was working. But the thing is, it was all in Spanish and it had Spanish subtitles. And I already, you know, I speak Spanish. It's been a while since I've actually lived in a Spanish speaking country though. And um, it was so amazing to have that just constantly on because if I was watching then I was learning twice as fast because the subtitles and what was being said were actually different. And so you're understanding two different ways to say the same thing. And if I wasn't watching, then I was just hearing it from like the other room or whatever. And I think it exponentially improved once again, just my conversation and my fluency, but it's because I was hearing it, you know, constantly. And I think there are a lot of resources out there that people can use Even simple things. I used to give my students the homework of watching Finding Nemo in Spanish because A, almost everyone had Finding Nemo when we all had DVDs and they had the option to turn it into Spanish. So like it was easy. Like everyone could just go home and do that, you know? Right. It's hilarious. And also I do recommend doing it with cartoons because you don't get lost with when Tyrion speaks and it's he's speaking in Spanish and it's not his voice. It's like, okay, that's not Tyrion. You know, but if you're looking at like Dory... Well, it doesn't really matter because she's she's just Dory and she just has a different voice. You know what I mean? Sure. And so I definitely recommend going the movie route, listening to music. Things like Spotify these days are so readily accessible that you can, you know, you can go on Spotify and look at the top 50 songs in any country. So go to like Chile and listen to the top 50 songs in Chile and just like listen to reggaeton, you know, whatever. I love doing that because it's just... I mean, I run to that music. It's super fun and upbeat. But I mean, music, movies, reading books. When I went to Brazil, I actually went to a little book fair and picked up O Alquimista, which is El Alquimista, the alchemist. The first time I'd ever seen the book was actually in Brazil. And the guy is originally 
Brazilian. And so he wrote the book in Portuguese. So I actually read the first, like the original version of it, which was really cool. But I mean, reading is amazing because when you're struggling with hearing and speaking, you can still read. Like there are so many things you can do to kind of bring it together. Duolingo, Rosetta Stone, like there's endless. And study abroad. Do what I did. Google. Google it. Try it. Or get an online tutor. There's so many things these days that are actionable that you could do right now to start learning a language. And everyone wants to learn. It's like on everyone's bucket list to learn Spanish or learn something. But people just don't do it. I think they just don't take action. And I'm big on taking action. So there you go. There's some action. I think that that's a lot of action. And I'm glad that you said <laughs> that about the subtitles because people learn in different ways. Visual learners, people learn a lot better when they, when they see it, right? But also hearing it. And so I, I can hear something, but I might not be able to, to spit it back out. Like we have a, a guy on our, our team at Under 30 Experiences who, and he's also a musician, and so he can hear something and he can tell you exactly what you said. It doesn't really matter what language. My brother is like that. My brother is fluent in Japanese, but he just had, and but he also has nearly perfect pitch on the cello, or can just pick up any instrument and somehow magically know how to play it. That is not me. But if I see it written, then I can kind of sound it out. If I know what the actual sounds are supposed to sound like. And so seeing it different ways, and then there's a whole nother part. I don't know if it's technically another part of your brain or not, but to actually be able to say it is a whole lot different than hearing it, hearing it, hearing it. And so that is a part that a lot of times gets neglected because I know, quote unquote, way more words say in Spanish then I actually use as part of my vocabulary, which in English is well. Same, yeah. So yeah, that's that's kind of an interesting topic. And also the reggaeton or whatever type of music is popular in the language that you want to learn. That's like a fun little puzzle, just as when we listen to hip hop in English, it's kind of like, oh, what, what do they say? I remember as a teenager listening to rap songs, like, oh, I wonder what that means. I should, uh, I guess I didn't say when I was a teenager, I should Google that, but oh, I should ask my uh, friend who's two years older than me. Maybe he'll tell me what this, what this phrase means, you know? Yeah, it's a good point. When I first studied in Italy, actually, in the, during the first week, there was a song that I heard that was the lyrics were very fast, but it was a very chill song, really smooth, soft song. And I loved it. It's called Semplicemente, by the way. And um, I took it upon myself to translate this song. Like I wanted to know what it was. I wanted to be able to sing along. Like music is huge for me. I love to sing along. Like I love, I love music. And so that was one of the things that I did. In the first week I was there, I listened enough to be able to write the entire song down and understand what was being said. On that note, I just want to add one more thing about the whole listening thing, because the reason I say that listening is the key to fluency is because when you hear a language that you don't understand, you don't know where the words start and stop. And the more you are learning and listening, the more you can hear the breaks in between the words. You know what a word is. You start to recognize what words are. And so then you, when you hear like three words, you know that the first and the last one 
you know that the the second one must be something and then you can look it up or whatever. You know, it's like you start to hear the differences, the breaks in the words, depending on the accent, of course, of the region, which is a totally different subject. I mean, wow, that's an intimidating subject in itself. But the idea is the more you listen, the more you're going to be able to break up the words that you're hearing and be able to reproduce them. And that's kind of like what I was doing with that song. When I taught my Spanish classes, I would play songs in class and I would write out the lyrics and I would leave blanks. And so I'd have the students listen to them and they'd have to fill in the blank. So they have to listen and be able to tell which word was missing, you know, from the paper or whatever. And I mean, these are, for me, this is super fun. Like I'm a huge language nerd, but like these are the sort of things you can do to kind of train yourself and practice and everything will help. All of these things will help. There's lots of ways, depending on whether you're visual or audio learner, like go hit it from all sides because it'll eventually start to come together. Sure. And you bring up a very good point about the accents and the regional accents, and we don't have to go too deep into it, but picking a location where the people speak more neutrally. Yes. Costa Rica has worked out so well for me because they don't even roll their R's. And so I never learned. Now, my girlfriend, who's Chilean, makes fun of me all the time because there are just certain words that caro and caro, right? Caro and caro. Yes. (laughs) You can roll your R's. I can stress it a little bit more, but either referring to an automobile or you're referring to something being expensive or pero and pero. Pero. (laughs) Right. So it's either the word for, F-O-R, or you're referring to a dog, which are two completely (laughs) separate things. In context, you can hear it, but still people like to make fun of you, but you would never, I mean, I'm not saying don't go to Chile or Argentina to learn Spanish, (laughs) but there are better options. Oh man, that's hilarious. I feel like that's kind of an understatement right there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Chile and Argentina were actually the last the last of the Latin American countries that I've been to. I mean, I I suppose there's a couple more somewhere in South America that I haven't been to, but I've been to everything else, you know? They're the last ones and they have absolutely the hardest accents in Spanish, I think. I would definitely caution someone or at least just give them an extra boost like of courage to, if you're going to go to these countries, take a grain of salt with you just because... They are more difficult. They're less clear. They have uh, their own kind of thing. And they're different from each other. They're totally different. Both Chile and Argentina, they're like so proud to be so different down there. Big time rivals. Yeah. It's very true that I think their language is harder to understand. And I started in Costa Rica as well. So with you. And I agree that going somewhere in the middle, the closer to the equator you get, I think the clearer the language. Start somewhere in there like Colombia or um, Costa Rica is a good spot to... That's why I chose Costa Rica, actually. I only had options at that point between um, Chile, Costa Rica, and Spain. And so for me, it was like very like, okay, well, that's Costa Rica then because I don't don't want the Spanish lisp. (laughs) No offense to the Spaniards. And I didn't want to go to Chile, which is funny now because Chile is my absolute favorite country. I love Chile. I have not been yet. February, I'm going. It's amazing. Yeah, I've heard. I know that you just got back from uh, Patagonia. I'll add this about the Chilean accent. Actually, the same guy who can spit out just about everything you tell him, uh, Jono, which a lot of our listeners will, will know from under 30 experiences trips, 
we were in Costa Rica going to a waterfall and Luz was with us and she said, oh, vamos para un, uh, una ucha lab. And she said it very, very quickly. And of course, I understood because we speak all the time. But John was like, ucha lada. What, what the hell is a ucha lada? I don't even What are you saying? Ucha lada. I don't even know what you're saying. Una ducha helada. Ducha la. Yeah, ah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. oh funny, funny, funny. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're going for a cold bath in the, or a cold shower in the waterfall. But for the rest of the day, he just couldn't conceive that someone would cut off that much of the word in the beginning oh, yeah. and at the end. The D's and B's in Costa Rica, I, I get made fun of for that. And then when you go down to Argentina, it's like the S's and the other kind of things. And I'm just like, that's why my accent is such a mess these days. But sure. it's funny because when people, I don't know if people do this to you, but when people, uh, native speakers, when they speak to me, they don't know where I'm from and they really try to place it. And I always let them guess because I think it's a fun game. And the most that I get are actually Argentina first, also Chile, and then somewhere in Central America, but no one can put their finger on it. And one girl told me one time, when you talk, I see palm trees. <laughs> That's like, really funny. That's amazing, you know? But she was Argentinian. So of course she was hearing of course the, the Central American sure. <laughs> side of it. Yeah, that the D's and the like, that's why I say San Pablo de Heredia. Like, right? really? And that sounds totally normal to me. Yeah, right. So, what I'm saying there is San Pablo, like people would say San Pablo. I say San Pablo, you know, de Heredia, Heredia, like <laughs> Heredia. And to be honest, I was like, oh, what do they mean about the B's and the D's? But when you say it, absolutely. Right. Yeah, you. Yeah, like you just leave them out, they just don't exist. Right. <laughs> That makes a lot of sense. Um, and I, I want to talk to you, of course, more about how you became Traveling Jackie and how you got the website so people can hear more about who, how you began your career as, as a travel blogger. But I did want to point out one more interesting thing about different places. Once you know a lot of different dialects and how a lot of people speak in different areas, especially in Spanish, like the vosotros... Yeah. versus, you know, usted or tú, or you have to adapt that to the person that you're speaking with. And sometimes it can come off as super formal. If somebody doesn't know anywhere else in the world, I went to Spain and I was using usted <laughs> and yeah. vos. Yeah, they were like, yeah. tío. <laughs> like, yeah. So you really have to adapt. And the, the other funny one is um, that I was going to tell you is, uh, we have a local Costa Rican guy who will go to the farmer's market and pick us up some organic stuff. But, but he has to drive like 45 minutes to an hour to go and get it. So we always go over the list with him before. And Louis always writes the list. But she will get mixed up between Spanish from Chile. Because especially when you're talking about fruits and vegetables, it's different everywhere. Yeah. So this poor guy gets a list of mainly things in Chilean Spanish with a mix of English in there because she lived in the States for 10 years. And then what she can remember about what they call it in Costa Rica. So he usually looks at this list and he's like, we need oh, to man. translate this before yeah. I go there. Like palta instead of aguacate. Uh -huh. And she'll just write avocado, which is oh, totally 
Spanglish, but it works, right? If you know what she's talking about. It matters big time. Yeah. Slang. And that's the intimidating thing, though, that like you don't want to scare people too much at the beginning. But it's better to get a foot in the door anywhere and then try to adapt later when you're ready. You know, but I mean, yeah, even like like Mexican Spanish, for example, that does not work everywhere. It's so slang. But if you can get Mexican Spanish, then good for you. You're sure. on your way, you know, and then you can start to learn in quite embarrassing ways sometimes what works and what doesn't. <laughs> and and you just figure it out. And it's funny because you're always the foreigner and, you know, you're learning a new language and people forgive you so easily and are so impressed by you for trying to learn their language. And it's an incredible thing. There's a quote that I always like to share that is, you live a new life for every language you speak. And if you speak only one, you live only once. It's wow. a like a Czech proverb. And I, I've loved that quote for quite a long time because every time I learn a language, it's like it comes true over and over again. You know, it's like all these different worlds that you can be part of that exist outside of your English speaking world that I'm such a proponent for. So I could geek out about language all day long. So you definitely are going to have to stop me. <laughs> yes. All right. As could I. So traveling... Jackie, you studied abroad a bunch of different times. I assume you backpacked all over the place. I mean, this was for about 10 years. But then you decided, I want to start publishing this online. How did you get started? Uh, You have a successful podcast. You run your own trips. I mean, there's a lot going on with your brand. So tell us how you did that. Okay. What happens when you become a traveler is you get a lot of people asking you questions and you become the resource for absolutely everything even if you, you know, haven't been absolutely everywhere. People it's like they don't they don't know any better, they ask you anyway. And so this was happening to me especially as after Facebook started, you know, you start to get more into touch with people you haven't seen in a while, like your network is suddenly bigger because of Facebook, you know, and I just started getting all these questions from everyone. Like I was the expert. All my friends and all of their friends would ask me any questions they had about travel. And I thought like, there's got to be a better way to do this than like one email at a time, you know, or one coffee conversation at a time. And so my idea was actually, oh, I'm going to write a book because then I can put it all down and get it out there. Like, this is a great idea. So in 2010, I started writing a book. And then I'm laughing because I still didn't know about blogging at that time. You know, that like it was actually a thing. I've had a personal blog since 2008, but it was the kind that like my mom and my five best friends read, you know, like it it was on like Blogspot. It still is actually, which is kind of funny, but I didn't know you could do it as like a thing, you know, as a profession. So in 2013, when that information hit my life, it took me about a month to like, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is what I was born for, you know, and I launched the Budget Minded Traveler literally within a month of learning that I could do this. I studied the Smart Passive Income podcast with Pat Flynn. I don't know if you've ever listened to that, but it's what helped me understand blogging as a business from day zero. You know, And so my, my whole goal was to basically build this so that I can continue traveling and make an income from it. And so I started out on the right foot because I started it knowing that it was going to be a business and affiliate marketing and all that stuff. And I had a lot to say. I already at that point had 10 years of experience. And So rather than starting with destinations, like, oh, this is what you do in Costa Rica, because I could have written a book about that. Instead of that, I said, no, this is how you prepare yourself for a trip. You know, this is how you do your phone. This is how you pack. This is how... Like all these things that people needed 
help with, how to choose a backpack, like all this stuff that just went crazy on Google because Google loved it because it was like really good for SEO. And so I actually got a lot of traffic. Like it was just good stuff, really good stuff that the internet wanted to see. And so that was the first thing that really um, bumped my my brand and my name was that I was actually putting out good content. And then I kept running into people who told me that I should start a podcast and I was very averse to it. I'm like, dude, I just started blogging, you know, like one thing at a time here. And then finally, enough people that I really respect said, you need to do this and you're, you're going to be good at it and you know, whatever. And so I'm like, okay, fine. So again, one month later, I had a podcast. Like seriously, I didn't even think that much about it. In fact, I published the first three episodes and I went to Mexico and I brought my microphone. I didn't really even know what I was doing. And people loved it. And I was like, oh shoot, I guess I better like record something else. You know, like I better keep doing this. Right. That was four and a half years ago now. And so as life went on and, you know, life changes as we grow up and grow have different experiences, whatever. I actually, in 2015, got way more into the adventure travel scene as a result of different connections I had made. And I wanted a place to write about that stuff that was outside of the realm of the budget-minded traveler. Because I mean, I had put myself sort of in a little box, like in a niche, you know, and it's really strong to do that as a business, but I, my creative side was craving more, you know? And so that's where Traveling Jackie was born the other blog. So then I have two blogs and a podcast. And that same year, I actually left Montana and became nomadic. I mean, all of my listeners know my story actually went through a divorce and kind of left everything as I knew it and started on this new like crazy adventure. And um, I started gaining a lot of traction on the Traveling Jackie blog because it was just interesting and juicy. You know what I mean? Like people. Um, but no, it's, it's okay. Like it was good. Um, and I did three years of nomadism that I just kind of continued writing on traveling Jackie about adventure travel and solo female travel. And the budget minded traveler podcast was sort of still hanging because my listeners would not let me, I mean, not like I, I struggled with it cause it's a, it's a big commitment to do a podcast. Huge. Sure. And I mean, my podcast had was killing it. I mean, like in the world of travel podcasts, there's a few of us that are like consistently ranked in the top and the other ones are all men or couples. And so I felt not only a duty, it was like, this is my baby. I created this, you know, and my listeners are, they mean absolutely the world to me. And so I didn't want to let them go, you know, in order to keep my interest in the show and sort of keep it going, breathe new life into it, um, where I was I don't know. I, you know, we have to allow ourselves to grow and change. And that's why I changed the name of the show because I needed something new. And so the show has evolved along the way. So have my blogs. And eventually, my ultimate dream really is to get people to go, like not just listen to me, but like here, I'm giving you everything you need to get out and go for yourself. And finally, I decided, you know, I'm going to start doing trips because I want to meet these people. I know they exist, I know they're out there. And I want them to come travel with me. And so in 2016, I did my first trip, which was like shooting for the stars. I took everybody down to the end of the world, down to Patagonia, you know, and it was amazing. That was the first. I've done five group trips now, including one uh, women's adventure retreat, which was like the absolute highlight of my year this year. And that's a whole new way for me to connect with my listeners and readers in person, like we take it offline. I mean, you know what this feels like because you've done it. Sure. It's so magical to 
create something in person and be able to actually touch it and be able to communicate and become friends with these people who've been binge listening to your voice for years. They feel like they're friends with me. Now I get to be friends with them. It's like putting a face to a name and it's the coolest thing. And so I'm now trying to find the balance really of just like the show, the Budget Minded Traveler blog, the Traveling Jackie blog, the trips. It's a lot um, because I'm still, you know, handling it all by myself. But I guess in sort of a nutshell, that's where I started and where I am now and the evolving of things in between and how to sort of how I've been trying to like keep up and handle it. And um, it's a ride. It's a roller coaster for sure, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. That's amazing. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. And for people who are listening, who are thinking, ah, I'm just not as outgoing as Jackie, or she was probably so cool in high school and, uh, you know, only, only outgoing people speak other languages well. And, oh my God, look at this woman. She is talking about her divorce on a podcast and that takes so much guts. I could never do something like that. And, oh my God, she packed up and was nomadic. What would you tell people who are afraid to put themselves out there in the form of whether it's podcasting or blogging or just going up to someone else at a hostel and saying, hey, do you want to be friends? Wow, that's a that's a big question. But I, I actually think... I wish the answer would be as simple as this. We're all human. Like we all have needs and wants and dreams. And we also all have courage. And we also are all in this together. And the second that you open up, you realize how many people are already there with you. You know, and I learned that when I took my big leap in 2015 and had so much support. I mean, big conversations, big decisions, their huge life changes. The smallest thing could be the biggest thing to you, like going up to someone in a hostel and asking or opening up a conversation or whatever. But one of the things I have learned above all else is that vulnerability begets courage. And the more you flex those courage muscles, the more you are capable of doing what seems impossible to you every single time. And if you put yourself out there or if you share, you'll realize how not alone you are, how many people are actually right there with you, who support you, who love you, whether you know them or not. I mean, I have listeners and readers commenting on my Instagram, sending me emails and they're, they've told me literally like, I love you, like, thank you. And I'm just like, this is unreal because here I am in a room by myself producing this blog post or this podcast or whatever, putting it out to, I don't know who, but there's someone there. And there always has been, you know? And so I think finding ways to reach out to those people, reach out to each other, there's power in that. And everybody wins. Everybody wins. There's a lot of things that people don't do out of fear. And that's when we lose, I think. And as a creative, most of us, like we have a creative side. We've got to let that out. Like otherwise we're denying ourselves. And I think if there's something that you believe in strong enough you need to do it because you're the only one with that dream. You know, like we need that from you. I agree. I totally agree. I'm so happy that you put it in those words for the people to, to hear. And Jackie, I'm curious. I know you talk about community and I know you have people who follow your work, but I want to make sure people also know that being a travel blogger or being an entrepreneur or a freelance writer 
can be very lonely. You can just be out there. You literally said that you're in a room by yourself, probably for hours upon hours a day, writing and producing content and trying to make your dreams come true. And sometimes it probably just feels like you're all alone out there and you're on a completely different path than most people that you knew when you were younger. So how do you deal with that? Oh man, that's really hard. I never thought that I would be a solo traveler because I had just a couple of experiences that shook me. Not dangerous. I want to put that out there. They weren't dangerous, but they definitely were like, holy wow, Like this is hard. I don't really want to do this by myself. And I like wrote off solo travel. Um, This is just one example. And now this is really funny to me because that's like what I do. You know, I'm by myself all the time. And that is a good example of one of those things that seems impossible to you, but you do it and you get used to it. You can get over it. You can get comfortable with it. But <laughs> loneliness doesn't escape anyone, I don't think. Um, I've written about it before. Like I think people see me and they see, you know, they see my Instagram and they see like my successes. And I mean, I write about the the not so successes as well. Like I put everything out there, but they just think that because of the position that I'm in, that like things are just good, you know? I, I mean, unless they're reading otherwise, I guess. But people ask me if I get lonely. And I'm like, is this a trick question? Because of course. And the thing is, the people don't really know the answer to that. But it's really like absolutely we get lonely. It's a I mean, you're you just mentioned because I mentioned, you know, that I, I sit here and I write and I podcast by myself. It's not just that. It's going to dinner by myself. It's getting on a plane by myself. It's finding a place to live, a hotel for the night, a tour for the day by myself. I have what I call empty chair syndrome where there's always an empty chair next to me. <laughs> like I'm always alone. And and that does get exhausting very lonely. You have to be mentally strong for that, you know? And and if you aren't, you need to learn how to kind of cope with it and deal with it. And um, I think allow yourself to change your path whenever you need to, Um, which I mean, mine has been up and down and all over the place because I need different things at different times. And that is okay. That's me listening to myself saying, well, it's time to go home or nope, it's time to leave. Like I'm ready. And that's all I need to make a decision is like listening to what Jackie needs because no one else is going to be able to tell me that. Like for example, right now I'm at home, home, H-O-M-E. Like I have a home for the first time in like four years. I just moved in last weekend to this place that I'm going to stay in through the winter in Montana, which is like mind blowing to me because I've been a snowbird for the past three years but I need this right now. This is where I need to be. I need to be home. I need my community, meaning the people that I already know and love and so, like the people who support me, the people who've been there for me, real people with real long lasting friendships, because as cool as the people are that you meet on the road, there's a lot of surface conversation. You have the same conversation over and over and you meet the such cool people and you have great times. And then after three days, you're gone again, you know? And so it does get really hard. And, and right now... I've decided that right now I need to be home and I'm going to be okay if I change that my mind again in the future. You know, like this is my path and it's my prerogative to change my mind. I'm human. I know that I will have the support and love of people um, no matter what I decide to do. And so I think combating the loneliness is a big topic and you need to learn how to do it for yourself. You know, what makes sense and everybody's going to be different. That's great. I struggled with loneliness most when I lived in New York. It was 
big city. I didn't really feel like I fit in. All my friends were at corporate jobs and I had my laptop and I was in my apartment and that was it. Everybody's probably heard of stories of dating in New York and how it can be shallow and superficial and uh, starting, of course, as I mentioned, starting a business is It can be very lonely. And so I needed to put myself in a position where I could at least be surrounded by a better community. So I did two things. One is I joined a co-working space. So I had at least other people around. I'm like, okay, that guy's working. He's drinking a lot of coffee. I can at least like give him the nod. Like we must be both working on something fun, right? And, And the other was I started practicing yoga in a studio that had a strong community where I got to know the teachers, I got to know the other students. So that really helped me. I'm curious if you had tips for people, whether it was, I don't know, staying at hostels that have good communities, or I mean, you said you have a community in Montana. Most people listening probably think, oh God, she's in the woods in Montana. It must be so lonely. Uh, Yeah. could Could you talk about that? Yeah. And that's a really good point that you brought up about joining a co-working space and doing yoga. One of the things that I actually talk about in my women's retreat, because I love to talk about taking the leap, but you need to know how to catch yourself after you do that. you know. And so you need to have a personal toolkit of things that are going to lift you up when you need it. So for you, for example, this co-working space and this yoga community was like two of the answers to that. For me, being home with people that I know right now is one of my answers to that. But if you know what it is that will comfort you and will will kind of what is it? Is it meeting people? Cuz if it's if it is, then there there are ways you can do that, you know? I mean, when you're out on the road, when you're alone, you can even go to a bar by yourself, sit down and strike up a conversation with the bartender. That's one of my favorite things to do. I love going out to a beer by myself and sitting at the bar. Yeah. And it's like inevitable people will talk to you because you're, you know, alone. Unless you want to be alone, then, you know, bring a book or whatever. And if if that's your thing, then that's your thing. And that's what gets you out and gets you, you know, makes you happy again. But I think it's really important to have that sort of go-to list of like, what is it? Can I just binge watch Game of Thrones? Will I feel better? Do I need to eat ice cream right now? Like, should I go on a run? Do I need to go to a couch surfing event? You know, like that's another option is there are meetups all over the world Um, that you could look into, or there are day tours if you're in big cities, even free ones. There are couch surfing meetups, which that whole platform is free. When I first moved to Argentina, I actually went on couch surfing and decided to stay first, like my first nights there with a couch surfer. And I chose her very carefully. I wanted someone that maybe I could be friends with because I was going to be living there. And I thought that would be a great way to kind of get into maybe a social scene. And it worked like a charm. Like I met this amazing girl. I stayed with her for five days before I found my own place. On the first day, she took me to a couch surfing meetup and I met like a bunch of different people, um, mostly Argentinians who were living there because it's like, I don't know. It was like magic. They like all came out to this couch surfing thing and like... Because Argentinians are such amazing people. They love to share. And so if someone's passing through town, they want to meet them. They're just such cool people. And so there's a bunch of locals that went to this event. And, you know, I got to meet a bunch of people right off the bat. You can always also do something like Airbnb where the host is present so that you can have someone there so you're not by yourself. 
or you could do a work away where you're living with a family or a person, you know, like if you need people, people are out there. And I would say finding some sort of community that you can connect with like yoga class. Yoga is kind of intimidating in a different language. I actually did a Muay Thai when I was living in Argentina. Um, I've done a yoga class in Germany before. That was really interesting because German is one of those like like the fifth probably language that I'm like kind of decent at, you know? And so it's like down the line. Um, But there are, the answer is basically like, think about it for just one minute. What do you like to do? And how can you get out of this like lonely bubble that you're in or whatever and explore those things and let it be okay if they don't work, try something different. That's awesome because I'm appreciative of your answers because they're a lot about how to meet the local people and you'll pick up the local language that way. For example, you can get really caught into, well, going to the local gringo bar and then you just get hooked into the gringo scene or the expat scene. And then you realize, oh my God, I don't have any local friends. And that's a completely different experience. I mean, one could say you might as well have stayed home, right? Yeah. You need it sometimes, especially if you're abroad for a long period of time. You said you like to go to the bar and just sit and have a drink and chat up whatever bartender is there. I really enjoy that, especially when I'm in a new city because you get to know the deal and the bartender will be here, but he'll be talking to the guy down there and then you can hop on in on their conversation. And it's a nice play. One of my best friends in Costa Rica is a local bartender. I say a local bartender. He's a gringo. So but okay. he's also a really good person to know. The bartender is a perfect person to know because he knows everybody who comes yeah. through that bar. I mean, it's a small town. And by being good friends with him, then I know all of his friends. I know every single person that goes to that bar. But I want to mention, so that's the bar in Manuel Antonio at the top of the tourist town, right? But if I go to Capos and I go and have lunch at the little cevicheria in the central market, I'm not going to see a single gringo and I'm going to sit there and this guy in the corner is going to be reading the newspaper, not on his iPhone. This guy's going to be talking politics. These two guys are going to be arguing over the, the, uh, local, yeah, the local football games, Alajuela and Saprisa, you know, and so you're going to get to know the culture and then you can start chiming in on those conversations because you know a little something about Costa Rican football. Say, then people are like, Holy my, like they really want to talk to you because they think, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. There's yeah. a little, you picked Who up that you? local, yeah, yeah they, you picked up that local flavor. Don't get me wrong on Sundays. I like to go to the gringo bar and watch football. And that's a reprieve that I need. Uh, I don't need it, but that I enjoy. That's such a good point. And I, I think maybe you do need that. I would say that is definitely okay to need because you're finding a balance right now. And that's super important because otherwise you risk burning out on only one culture. And that it's not entirely being true to who you are. And so you have to allow yourself, if you need those gringo bars, if you need that gringo town for a vacation, go. You know, I mean, if it's an expatville and everyone speaks your language, hallelujah, amazing. You know, you're still in Mexico or whatever, but you're speaking English and you can get around. And it's like, it's kind of like cheating, but in like a magical way, because 
it's just a little bit easier. And sometimes you just need a little bit easier because it's a hard life. It's a hard life living overseas, being nomadic, traveling solo, whatever it is. Like it's not easy by any means. And so if you have those little things, you can kind of dip into the corner and indulge in for a minute and just like, okay, oh, that felt good. You know, I got my football game in, whatever. And now I'm going to go and, and have some ceviche, whatever. And like, right. But finding that balance is so super important, I think. Sure. And just as a traveler, it's interesting because you meet people from all over the world, not just gringo North Americans, not just local wherever you are, but you get to also learn about other people. One of the most interesting conversations that I've had recently actually was with an Argentinian guy, but we were sitting in a coffee shop in Bali and we're the only two people there. And we were talking to the Indonesian woman for a little while. And then we ended up changing to Spanish and we had a a really fun conversation. And you just get to know about other parts of the world. I've never been to Argentina, but I learned a lot about what it was like there just from, you know, granted, this is one conversation, but it it was a meaningful conversation. It was a memory that I have from that trip, but I was in Southeast Asia at the time. Yeah, I love that. And that those little gems happen all the time when you're traveling. It's like the magic of it. Sure. That's a really good point, though. I mean, even here, you walk outside your door in the United States and there's a possibility that you're going to meet someone from another country and you're at home. So, I mean, yeah, people are everywhere. It's not just one culture that you're dealing with, which is a really good point. You never know who you're going to meet. I absolutely agree. And I'm glad that you mentioned at home. I think it might be a nice place to end, especially in this day and age where there's a lot going on in the world, all over the world, of course, but especially here in the United States. And I'm a firm believer that people need to learn more about one another. We are very often stuck on our phones, which is magic, right? There are literally people listening to our voices as they are hearing this from their phones, in their headphones, but they're mm-hmm. probably also walking around, missing out on the quote-unquote real world, what's going on around them. And it's such a fantastic time to be alive that you can tune into your, quote, tribe and you can all of a sudden find traveling Jackie in a cabin in Montana. I'm, I'm totally <laughs> picturing where you are right now. It. That, And you can be connected in that way. But also, so many issues in the United States are happening because people don't understand the people around them. So Jackie, I'm curious if you had any tips on how people in their own backyard could take the traveling mindset and stay open-minded while they're at home to these types of chance encounters that are so magical overseas, but at home we need this too. Mm -hmm. What would you tell people? That's hard because everyone has a different backyard, you know, but at the same time, I think if you are aware of the things that you like when you go overseas, like what, what are they? Have you actually thought about those things? Like, is it the language? Is it that you like a different menu and you don't know what you're going to taste that day? Is it the transportation thing? Do you like public transportation? Like what are the things that you like about travel or is it, is it seeing something new, you know? And then 
what in your own city can you do? Like, is there a new restaurant you can go to? Or is there a bus you can take that you don't know where it goes? Or, you know, is there an adventure you can do that like wouldn't take much? A new hike or a walk through a different park or going to a bookstore in a different neighborhood, you know, or whatever. I mean, I think there are a lot of adventure things that you can do where you actually are out like doing things. And also, I think that keeping an open mind is really important and having a goal for what you're doing right now is really important because there's a reason that you're home as well. So what is that reason? You know, because if you're at home because you want to save up your money or because this is where your family is and you want to be with your family or, you know, like what are the reasons that you're actually at home? Because there's a reason for that just as there's a reason that you travel. And if you can start to be grateful for the reasons that you're home, um, I think that's huge too, because it helps change the mindset and it helps you live in the present and not miss out on those things that are happening, those relationships that are forging, those or that you're just nurturing, you know, those friendships that you already have. Like if you can kind of come around to why are these important? Why am I here right now? Like, why is this my home? You know, then you'll find ways to be more grateful for it. And it'll help you, I think, be a little bit more okay with being at home. Like I know exactly why I'm here right now. And I'm so excited to be home right now that it like fills me up just thinking about it, you know? And I'm the same person who has been nomadic for three years, living in Argentina and living in Italy and all over the place. And it's just listening to myself and what I need right now and why I'm doing what I'm doing and where I can choose to be grateful because there's definitely things to seek out, to be grateful for absolutely everywhere. So another thing that you can do is I would say if you have traveled and you want to sort of bring those things with you, you know, when you go home and you have maybe some things that you can put up like souvenirs, bring those, put them out, look at them, enjoy your memories, be grateful for the thing that had happened that helped shape you to who you are right now. And then go to the store and pick up bratwurst and sauerkraut and like put on German music and wear your dirndl and like have a German night because it's super fun and it'll make you laugh. And the whole time you're at home, but like you're taking something that you've experienced and bringing it into your daily life today. Another thing that I like to do when I'm really down, like I, I just want to trap, like I just want to get out and I can't or whatever, is I'll pick up a book that takes place elsewhere. Like Dan Brown is my number one recommendation for books that take place like in other countries or whatever, because he's so good making you feel like you're there. You know, there's a book called The Geography of Bliss, which is really good too. Like each chapter is a different country. And I mean, there are books you can read that really take you away. And if you need an escape, go to a good book that like takes you to a foreign land where you feel like you're going on an adventure, even though you're still sitting on your couch. And then be grateful that you have a couch and that you don't have to figure out where you're sleeping that night. Because damn, that gets like frustrating day after day after day when you're just dealing with travel logistics all the time. Like it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy. And I mean, there are lots of things that you can be grateful for, for being in one place and having the relationships that you have. And I think just changing perspective and having a goal for why you're here and maybe making a plan for the next time you leave, you know, are things you can do. And being grateful for the experiences you've had. Don't let them go, you know, let them change you. Be happy about those memories and continue to talk about it and share and meet people and share about travel. I mean, you can travel every day in conversation. I do it all the time because as soon as anybody finds out that I work in travel, it's like, okay, we're talking about their latest trip or their next trip or whatever. Or they're asking me. I travel all the time in conversation. So there are, there are things, there are ways. That's amazing. And you can time travel. <laughs> you can time travel right from your couch. 
pretty cool. Yeah. And I just wanted to add that I find that I am so much more kind or really just more friendly to people when I'm traveling, probably out of necessity, part because I'm on vacation, but very much culturally as well, because I've spent a lot, all these fond memories from Costa Rica come back to me. All these fond memories from Bali come back to me where people are just so nice, outwardly kind <laughs> and friendly. And that's, yeah, we can bring that with us. So that's really cool. Uh, Jackie, this has been an awesome conversation. Could you please let people know where they can find you online? My home is travelingjackie.com with one L for anybody who's not using American English out there. And I am at Traveling Jackie on Instagram. That's my preferred way of connecting with people. And um, if you want to check out the podcast, it's at travelingjackie.com slash podcast. Excellent. Jackie, pura vida. Pura vida, my. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for coming. It's been super fun. Yeah, definitely. My pleasure.